Welcome, everybody, to the Real Life Fables podcast with Omar Mitwali. And for the first time, not as a guest, but as a co-host, Nicole Nelson. Hello. Hello. Okay. <laughs> I'm Nicole Nelson. I was on Omar's, uh, the first episode of this podcast. And Omar invited me to be a host of this podcast with him. So I'm super excited about that. I've always wanted to do a podcast. And I love the theme and ideas that he has going for this. So here I am and super excited to bring you all new episodes from now on. I'm really excited myself too. That's awesome. So um, I heard that you wanted to uh, mention a couple of things that are going on right now. Yeah, so I do a lot of events, and so each time we do a podcast episode, I'll be talking about the events I have coming up, and the first one I want to tell you all about is a free event happening on Thursday, September 21st at 7.15 p.m. Uh, You do want to get there early because doors will lock at 7.30 and no late entries are allowed in. This is in South Park at the Polish American Association. The address is 1934 30th Street. And the event is called Seven Barriers to a Sexually Empowered Life. This is going to be led by Dr. Hazel Grace. She received her PhD in human sexuality and is the founder of the Cock and Pussy Project, which we'll be talking about later on. And she's going to be taking people through a workshop where she talks about the seven barriers, the seven most common barriers that block us from leading our most sexually empowered lives possible. Uh, Like I said, it's a free event, so you should definitely come out. The next event going on is on Thursday, September 28th. It is at a private residence in Claremont. It's my monthly sexual empowerment circle. uh, Doors will open at 645 and doors will lock at 715. So once again, be on time. And because it is at a private residence, you have to RSVP in order to receive the address. So if you'd like to RSVP for the event, send an email with your full name to sexualempowermentcircle at gmail.com. And lastly, October 14th is the Cock and Pussy Project in San Diego, University Heights at, I believe, 12. (laughs) But you can find info about it online by Googling the Cock and Pussy Project. And I think that's it for now. That's awesome. Cool. I got um, also something to plug but I'm, not, I'm just going to mention it quickly. I'm, I'm forming a men's uh, group fellowship. Um, and um, I'll probably be posting more about it on Facebook. So look out for the details on my wall soon. Um, shall we get started? 
with a podcast. Yeah. Awesome. So tonight for our guests, we have John Nelson, who is also my brother. We asked him to come on because he recently just got back from Texas where he was helping out with the relief efforts due to the hurricane. And he had some super fascinating stories. And I think this is going to be a really exciting conversation. Yeah. So just take us back to the beginning. Um, tell us about your background in the Navy that provided you with the skills that you now have and then how you got involved with the organization you met up with out there. Uh, yeah. Well, so I was in the Navy for just under seven and a half years, uh, joined right out of high school. And the job I had was called a search and rescue corpsman where uh, no one really knows what a corpsman is, but it's a medic in the Navy. And then the search and rescue part, it was a uh, uh, helicopter search and rescue. So uh, my first few years, I was out of Cherry Point, North of Carolina with the Marine Corps uh, doing search and rescue with their asset over there. <clears throat> While I was over there, I uh, was working out in town, volunteering as an EMT. Uh, also got my paramedic done. Deployed out of there to uh, Kuwait just to do some air ambulance stuff for a few months. And then when I got back, transferred over to San Diego, finished out here for a few years, and then been out for about a year now. So that's where a lot of my medical training and skills came from in search and rescue, uh, doing that aspect. And then as far as meeting up with Veterans Respond, uh, about December, November of this last year, uh, the whole Standing Rock movement was getting pretty active, really big. Videos were blown up on Facebook. Uh, <clears throat> Thanksgiving felt kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just didn't uh, feel right. Like going on Facebook right before we're eating dinner and just watching a bunch of Native Americans get blasted with fire hoses and pepper mm-hmm. spray, and then here we are celebrating Thanksgiving. <laughs> Oh, when the Native yeah. Americans took care of us. <laughs> it's the most ironic time. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of cognitive dissonance going among <laughs> a lot of people in this country at that time. But anyways, that, uh, so it was kind of weighing on me a lot. Uh, that weekend, I actually, the next day after Thanksgiving, me and my buddies went, hiked uh, Mount Whitney. And if you've ever been backpacking or go on these like long grilling hikes, you really... Uh, you really kind of uh, get inside a shell. You, um, they're really miserable. You slog it out. There's nothing fun or enjoyable about it. It just sucks. And so you spend like 15 hours just inside your own head while you move one foot in front of the other. And a lot of that time, I was actually reflecting about what I was seeing and wishing I could do something about Standing Rock. And then that Monday morning, I remember I woke up uh, before class and do the usual check my Facebook for 30 minutes to get my brain going. And one of the first things I saw, pop, I don't know if Nicole actually posted it or liked it, but I saw something about this movement of veterans going out. I actually out to remember you messaged me and was like, because of your posts, I'm heading to Standing Rock. Yeah, yeah. So I, I saw this movement with a veteran stand uh, where basically the Army Corps of Engineer announced on December 5th, I believe it was, that they were going to forcibly uh, yeah. remove the main camp. Yeah. And so this uh, I remember. big movement grew up with uh, thousands of veterans who volunteered to go out there to pretty much become human shields yeah. to stop that from happening. And 
as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I need I need to get on a flight out there. So uh, I didn't know anybody, didn't have any contacts. There was a roster you could sign up with to get with this organization, but it was already, hmm. all the spots were filled. And I was like, well, screw it. I'm just going to go on my own. Okay. Uh, so I went, got there, and then uh, kind of quickly got pulled into working with a, a group of other veterans out there who were part of the veterans stand for standing rock, uh, organization. I shouldn't even say an organization. They, uh, were just some of the first people to volunteer and the first people to get tasked with leadership roles. Anyway, so I started working with them while I was out there and we saw that it was kind of a, you know, even though we did a lot of good things and, you know, we delayed the immediate threat of everyone being evicted, uh, it was really just a big shit show, and in what way? Um, logistically, um, mm-hmm. you had several thousand veterans more that had uh, than had registered show up. I guess me being one of them. But the difference was, I didn't come expecting anyone to take care of me. I was pretty much self sustaining. Uh, there were several thousand people who showed up that were not and expecting shelter, sleeping bags, food. Um, in the middle of it, a blizzard shows up. Uh, so a lot of supply lines are cut off. Not only that, and then you had issues with um, like Michael Wood Jr. who set up the organization, keeping about 300 grand of the donated million dollars wow. so he can... Uh, get his own nonprofit going. So that was the organization that got all the media attention that everyone saw on Facebook. But when John got there, he actually ended up joining up with another veterans group, which is the one we're going to talk about that led the, his trail in Texas. Um, well, so at the time, everyone was kind of veteran stand. Uh, I wasn't, even though I was a veteran, I, didn't you know i went under my own flag well no flag actually i just kind of went to see how i could help really didn't understand everything that was going uh going on so i just went started working in uh like the medical tents a little bit Mm -hmm. and then um yeah ended up getting pulled to these group of veterans that originally were sent there under the banner of veteran stand Mm -hmm. uh within the first day though communication between whatever leadership existed in the veteran stand organization just disappeared and pretty much kind of turned quickly into every group for themselves in terms of what your tasks are going to be, what you're going to accomplish, what you're going to work on. And so uh, the group of vets that I was working with, uh, you know, they started talking one night and realizing how with a smaller group of people, and just a fraction of the funding that they could actually probably be way more efficient than what was going on with trying to drop a million dollars on 3,000, 4,000 veterans showing up. Half of them are pretty much homeless and disabled. And Mm. so um, out of that, that's where uh, this group of people decide to start a veterans or veterans respond. Since I had worked with them and uh, they liked me pretty soon, they, asked if I wanted to help out and assist and join and gave some thought and uh, decided I want to. Originally, our mission was, um, you know, it's uh, Veterans Respond Healing Through Service. 
uh, it's kind of the motto, and it was to give veterans a purpose again who, uh, you know, the high rates of um, mental illness in the veteran community, a lot of people think that it's uh, caused or at least correlated with losing your purpose in your life. Mm. You know, when you're in the military, you're told what to do, you at least feel like you have a mission or a goal, and then uh, when you leave that behind, a big part of you gets left behind too. Um, you feel isolated, you don't have a purpose. So, you know, our idea behind Veterans Respond was a way to encourage healing through service, whether it be community service, uh, going to peaceful protests, um, uh, stuff like that, doing disaster relief. Some of them even headed to Flint, Michigan afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, between now and December, we had... uh, we did a couple missions to uh, the Two Rivers Camp, which was protesting the Trans-Pecos Pipeline down in Texas. We did some work at Apache Stronghold in Arizona, which uh, was over a copper mine on uh, some Apache reservation land. Uh, we had people go over to Flint, Michigan, do stuff like that. And then... Um, do you want to start getting into the story about Texas? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you feel called for that. Um, so just because, yeah, time. No, it's okay. I okay. think we should just take as much time as needed because okay. this is fascinating okay. discussion to me. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in that's actually like as I'm sitting here listening, yeah. to, and I've heard these stories so many times. I'm just like, this is just solid gold right yeah. here. Like, there's no, nice. such good stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was um, peripherally involved. Uh, I didn't actually go there. I have I had a couple of friends who went there, and I was really feeling just so much heartache that uh you know all these people are freezing their asses off and struggling so i I just wanted to support so i you know gathered a lot of like winter equipment and money i think we raised a thousand dollars and and shipped it um that was kind of the extent of my involvement i heard that there was some issue with people just showing up and not understanding the culture of the native americans yeah absolutely um but I mean, the tricky thing with that also is um, there there were so many different. Like, even though we were on um, Standing Rock uh, Lakota Reservation, so I mean, it's Sioux territory, but the Sioux is also made up of um, you know the Sioux is like a nation. There's multiple tribes that make up the Sioux Nation, and um, we were part of uh, the Standing Rock Lakota or Lakota Standing Rock Reservation. And then, you know, um, there were, this was the largest gathering of like Native American tribes in one place in, I don't know, a very long time, if not ever. Um, And so the tricky thing is, is that Native American culture isn't isn't universal. You know, it's not a monoculture. Right. It's so tribes. um, You know, you had this large camp where we were all at. And each tribe kind of had its own spot or camp set up around. And so, you know, you could do things in one area of the camp that would be normal, but then you go to another and it might be deemed offensive. So mm-hmm. it was it was hard navigating that. Um, I didn't have too big of an issue. I just uh, kept my mouth shut a lot and just kept my hands in my pockets and my head down. Just uh, asked how you could help, right? Yeah, yeah, essentially. But I mean, like a big one was like... Uh, I got cussed out for throwing a cigarette butt around a fire or like in a fire 
And that's where I learned about uh, like the sacred fire. They treated every <laughs> every fire as sacred. Like you don't throw stuff in there. You don't cuss around the fire. Mm. You don't ever let it get out. That's um, kind of cool. Uh, I do love fire ceremonies. <laughs> but it, it was uh, it was very yeah. It was it, it was definitely a culture shock being in my own country and just feeling like I was in a different country because mm. the the customs and traditions were so unique um, and just nothing I ever encountered or thought of. Okay. So fast forward um, pretty much over a year, right? I think it's been over. It's, it was last Christmas or yeah. yeah last, so that's when almost I think, a year. Yeah, probably almost about nine year. months. Yeah. Nine months. So yeah. no, fast forward nine months, you, f- you see, you watch the news or you, well, you hear from every, pretty much every source that there is a hurricane about to hit Texas. What goes in your mind? Um, well, I, sorry, can I just so, say, I remember him and our friend Dylan, who he was in the Navy with, kind of, I forget where we were, where we were climbing at the gym, but saying something like, oh, maybe we should go to Texas. And I just kind of figured they were joking. And then like a couple of days later, we I think met at up, the time we were a couple of days later, we meet up at my mom's and he's got this like concerned look on his face. And I asked his girlfriend, I was like, what's up with my brother? And she was like, oh, he, he just decided to go to Texas. And I was like, that's okay. <laughs> that's pretty typical John behavior. Just up on a whim. <laughs> so, um, you know, for a while after Standing Rock, we were, me and all the other people involved with Veterans Respond, we, we were pretty... Uh, almost obsessive with it. We put a lot of time, energy, and money into it. Um, we would do fundraisers and get donations, but I would easily say about two-thirds of our funding just came from our own pockets. And, um, we, you know, we started getting burnt out, especially, especially with the, uh, the activist movement. We... Uh, uh, trying to think how to say this politely, but there's a lot of... A lot of crazy people. So we started encountering issues with um, the the private contracting mercenary company Tiger Swan, or we call them Tiger Lily. Um, that was up at Standing Rock. They were doing like intel collection on us and uh, the intercept. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's some online news media organization. They actually. Uh, got copies of a lot of their Intel reports and published them. And they were, you know, naming our members by name, doing uh, surveillance on us. And like, that was really weird. And then we, you know, people that we'd consider allies in the own organization were randomly coming out and accusing our own members of being members of Tiger Swan or being infiltrators, law enforcement. We're actually like there to do covert surveillance on activist groups and turn people in. Mm. And so, you know, we were getting it at both sides that, yeah. Uh, so a lot of us, we just got burnt out. My, my girlfriend, um, she had a baby back in March. Um, and then our executive director, Mark, he just had his second child in February or March. Also, um, funds were drying up and, a lot of us really just kind of started backing away or being less involved. You know, we we really just burn out on it. And then also without a clear, now that Standing Rock was over, uh, 
you know, we just didn't have a clear mission anymore and, uh, or the time or resource to really focus on the community service or charitable things that we wanted to do. Um, and so then when Texas came around, it was almost like initially, I, th- you know, I haven't really talked to the other members of Veterans Respond, but I'd be willing to bet we all had the same mentality of <laughs> we wanted, felt the need we should go and do something, but we're all just so burnt out that nobody was really talking about it. <laughs> and then... Uh, Who was the first person to break the silence? You know, it, I'm, on a, I'm on a group, we're all on a group text and mm-hmm. almost every day people are just talking, throwing things out. And I don't remember the first one, but it, it was pretty much just like a casual, somebody was bouncing around the idea. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was almost like we were all trying to talk each other out of going. <laughs> um, I think Mark was like, oh yeah, maybe we should go down there, but I don't know. I don't know how we can help. I don't have a boat. And then I was like, yeah, I mean, I want to go, but... I don't, I don't think I can afford it. I don't, I don't have a way out there. My car is probably going to break down. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, it just started with these little things that people were saying like, yeah, we should go. But then with throwing like excuses why we shouldn't. But, <laughs> but yeah. then the more, you know, and then eventually it came down to Mark was like, hey, I'm talking to these people. I think we can help out. Uh, these are towns we can go to. And then I was like, all right, well, I, I'll go. I don't want to drive my car out. My transmission's probably going to blow up. I can't afford it. So let me talk to some buddies, see if I can get them to drive, and then I'll go out. And so I texted like four uh, former rescue swimmers that I'm friends with and uh, stay in touch with out here saying like, hey, do you guys want to go to Texas? We can go and drive. And um, two of them said no. And then my one buddy said, yeah, but couldn't drive. And then I was telling Mark, like, oh, I can't go now. I don't have anybody to drive us out there. And then I called my one friend who was down to go. And I was like, all right, you know what? Let, we'll take my car. If it blows up, <laughs> then we can at least say you tried. Yeah. So then I texted Mark. He's like, hey, never mind. We're going to come now. Okay. And sure. so... Me and my buddy Dylan, uh, we loaded up our kayaks, loaded. <laughs> well, it actually sucked too. I had like my garage was packed full of like search and rescue equipment, medical supplies, med bags. And I was actually in between a move. All my shit was stuck in storage. Okay. I had like no yeah. gear except for um, my kayak. So <laughs> How many people can you fit in a kayak? Because usually it's, a one, it's two people? or uh, I could get two in mine. Most of them were one. We also had a, a canoe that you could fit a lot of people okay. in. Um, I'll get to why we brought the kayaks okay. later. But So me and Dylan, we load up both kayaks onto the roof of my car. Uh, we're going to leave at like 5 in the morning to drive out to Texas. And then I get to his house at like 10 o'clock at night. We're like, no, what? let's just go tonight. So we leave and then seven o'clock in the morning comes around and our other buddy who rescue swimmer who originally bailed out Texas is like, Hey, actually swing by and pick me up on your way to Texas. I want to go now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, dude, we're in, we're in New Mexico. (laughs) And so within two hours, he has bought a plane ticket to Austin (laughs) <laughs> really? Yeah, and uh, he's on his way to Austin. So, 
we ended up picking him up, spending at my buddy's place in Georgetown, uh, Texas, outside Austin. Uh, and then the very next morning, decide to... Um, we didn't want to go to Houston. It was very... From what we were hearing, it's pretty difficult to get into Houston. Yeah. And it was very inundated with military, the Cajun Navy. I heard about that, the Cajun Navy. So can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so I don't actually really know what the Cajun Navy is. <laughs> so are they from Louisiana or, or is it like a Navy? That I, don't, I don't know if it's nickname? an actual organization or if it's just a nickname, okay. but my impression was, um, you know, that part of the South, it's all Bayou country. Yeah. Um, from pretty much like the Southeastern Texas all the way over to Northern Florida. You think of bayous, you usually think of Louisiana, but it's a very large stretch of the southeast is, um, or the south is uh, bayou country. And uh, so my impression, it was just all these fishermen, uh, people with uh, fishing boats, um, fan boats, uh, who respond to the call to rescue people, just like it's kind of a, a term to just call them the Cajun Navy. Gotcha. So why don't you start by telling us about... The f- what the firehouse you stayed at? I mean, was that like kind of the first one of the first places you responded to? Or uh, no, not at all. So uh, there was so there's an app called Zello where it, it works like Nextel or it's a radio, and you can pull up different channels. So basically, how all the rescues were going on in Texas was that somebody created this website. It's called like. Houston Harvey Rescue or something like that dot com. And basically you could go on and you know, if my house was flooding and I'm stuck on the attic and somehow had web service or internet, I could go onto this website and say, Hey, I need rescued. And I would put in my information, how many people are with me, if I need medical care, um, what my address is and other people could go on this website and pull up a map of Texas and it would have pins dropped everywhere. And it was pretty much just like, it's all GPS. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, everywhere there's a pin is somebody or a family or a group of people who either need medical care, rescued, evacuated, uh, you know, there's different categories. And then other groups, uh, some of them were military or, you know, public employees, but the mo- majority of them were just volunteers acting as dispatchers. Uh, you would get on a channel. So say if you're in Houston, Houston had like four different channels on the Zello app, depending on what part of town you were in. Uh, different parts of Texas had different channels. You'd go on and you would literally get dispatched. You'd be like, hey, I have a boat, rescue swimmers. I'm in this neighborhood do you have any rescues? And this person who had their computer pull up, like, okay, uh, I need you to go to this address. We got two people that need rescue or we need supplies dropped off. And that's how all the rescue operations were going on. So what, how we ended up where we did was um, early in the morning, we left Georgetown, Texas. We had two kayaks, a canoe, two rescue swimmers, me as a paramedic, and then uh, our, our executive director, Mark, who was an uh, Army infantryman. We, uh, you know, we just kind of decided to not go to Houston for the reasons I explained earlier and go towards the Beaumont-Port Arthur area that had just gotten hit mm. um, or, you know, really bad flooding. Yeah, so we start heading down there. Uh, we spent the day at this town called Vider, uh, 
And, you know, we thought the kayaks and canoes would be nice because the flooding around these neighborhoods and towns was uneven. So, you know, you could have like a half mile stretch where boats do really fine in, and then you get to another half mile stretch that's... You have to carry it. Yeah. I mean, if you can carry it, it'd sometimes be like eight inches of water. Yeah. There's no, you're like, you're not going to carry a boat over there. Right. So, um... Canoes and kayaks were very effective uh, in getting around and not being limited by these random sandbars, if you will, that were everywhere. Um, So what we were doing uh, originally was just going through all these neighborhoods and streets and just clearing them, essentially. Um, You know, we were worried about people who had no family, they were elderly, they were sick, they were bedridden, and for whatever reason could not get out. They couldn't evacuate. They didn't have phone service, uh, couldn't request a rescue and somehow got left behind. So we were just taking our canoes and kayaks up and down these neighborhoods that boats couldn't get to and um, literally just going door to door, check in and see if people are around. And, uh, you know, that was in a town called Vider. And then, uh, you know, near the end of the day, we decided to go to another town called Orange, the next town over. It's kind of on the Texas-Louisiana border uh, off the 10 there. We went to Orange. And, uh, you know, we, we'd sent our two rescue swimmers on a boat to help some people out while me and Mark actually ended up just driving around in the truck. And we would get calls in. We actually went on a few medical calls just driving through flooded areas. Um, you know, bringing like insulin to diabetic patients mm-hmm. or supplies, stuff like that. Stuff like that. And, uh, you know, by the time nightfall was coming on, we ended up making some friends on this Zello app and friends pretty much saying, hey, where's everybody hunkering down for the night? Where's the rally point? Where are we going to meet? We ended up uh, talking to this guy, Marty, um, and his sidekick from Alabama. Uh, we met up with them at a high school, set up a tent, decided to stay there for the night. And while we we're there, um, the a fire the fire chief randomly just shows up. He saw we were set up in the parking lot, comes by and pretty much just invites us over. He's like, hey, my firehouse is right up the street. First thing in the morning, come on over. You can get showering, get some nice. food. Um, we'll figure out some work for you guys to do. Uh, so we spent the night there first thing in the morning, get out and go to, um, uh, we go to the firehouse and we get there and it's literally him and one other volunteer <laughs> firefighter who, um, <laughs> so is, was it because people had left or is that literally that's the only two people? No, no. There? So, well, so the majority of the country do not have fire departments like our big cities here. Yeah. Um, you know, the majority of the country is <laughs> volunteer driving fun. and the other one is hosing. <laughs> it's, it's mostly uh, volunteer fire departments, gotcha. especially in these rural areas. And so this guy, the bulk of his volunteer firefighters were full-time firefighters in bigger cities like Beaumont, Port okay. Arthur, Houston. So when everything got down, like they, you know, yeah, that's where yeah. it had to go. Yeah. And then some some people just didn't show up, just not answering <laughs> their phone. And then the one guy he has with him, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, this guy has a seventh grade reading level. And we just kind of oh. keep him around. He's really nice. But the, <laughs> but that guy, 
I, I don't know how this happened, but he had like cuts on his feet from prior. And I guess from walking around in the mud, I don't even know if it was from the hurricane. It probably could have been from before the hurricane, just walking around mud. But this dude had like worms growing out of his cuts in his feet. So he was useless. He was just sitting around drinking Diet Coke, smoking cigarettes all the time. And it's just this one fire chief who hasn't slept in four days told me he's like about to have a nervous breakdown. Earlier in the day, he got stuck. He fled out his truck and just burst it in tears. I was getting ready to like call so the... At the beginning, it seems to me like when you first told the story, I was thinking, okay, well, this is a guy extending his generosity, you know, to host him. It sounds like it's a cry for help. Like, please, like, help me. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it must came down to. He was telling... So, and, uh, you know, the fire chief was an EMT and I was like, listen, I'm a paramedic. Um, I can help you out with some calls and... Well, so, so for listeners who don't know, um, a lot of people think EMT and paramedic is the same thing, but an EMT is lower than a paramedic. So it would be like EMT, then paramedic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm ask, I was telling this guy, hey, uh, you know, I'm a paramedic. I, uh, I was like, you know, I have a Texas license too. I'm expired. Like, I'm trying to like, give him the warm and fuzzy that like I'm qualified and certified. And like, I, you know, his answers, I could tell he just didn't give a shit. Like <laughs> I could have told him I was a doctor and he'd be like, okay, cool. Like, you're coming with me. <laughs> you tell me you're a plumber. I'm still going to take you on this like yeah. call with me. Um, but so, you know, I end up like doing some EMS calls with him that night. And then, um, but yeah, we end up spending the next few days at this firehouse, uh, helping this guy out. That was just kind of our, base of operations and uh we'd go out there and do work in other places the next day we ended up going back to vider um help people out the day after that uh we actually worked with the local sheriffs in orange they had a list of addresses of um you know because even though there's flooding there were parts that were not mandatory evacuations and so a lot there's a lot of people who Especially older people do not like to leave their homes. Yeah. Tell tell the story about the older couple you told me about. Oh. So wait, can I just say, I want to preface by saying, I saw this picture on Facebook of a guy barbecuing in the flood. Like the water's up to his knees and he's barbecuing. And there was some phrase like, in Texas, like even if a hurricane comes, you're still going to barbecue, something like that. And I showed it to my brother and I was like, do you think this is real or fake? And he looks at it and he's like, definitely real. <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get into the psychology or my theory about why this is. But so uh, we were in Vider one of the days when we were helping out and we're at this like eight mile stretch of highway where it's the sandbars I'm telling you about where. You know, you have a good patch that you can drive through um, or take your boat through, but then it gets super shallow and dry land. And we were trying to drive our truck into Vider. We only got a couple miles in before it just got too deep. We couldn't get any hmm. any further. And we ended up meeting this elderly couple on this little <laughs> patch of sandbar we were stuck on. I don't even know how they ended up there, but they did. And, um, you know, this guy was asking if we could drive them back to their home. We're like, uh, we'll try. And then he just dipped out. I mean, before we could even say, we'll try, he just left. And then, 
you know, we, we quickly realized we're not going any further. Um, it's too deep. The truck's going to get flooded out. The water ahead of us is a very strong, I mean, it's essentially a river. I got up to like my knees and I can feel it like trying to push me. Oh yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, you walk a little further, it gets up to your chest. Well, I'm walking back and this old couple gets out of our truck and they're telling, telling my buddy like, Oh, we're just, we're just going to walk back. (laughs) They had to like go through another six miles of flooded water and river streams. Yeah. And we're like, what? No, no, like you can't do that. <laughs> like, listen, I was just up into my knees. It's pushed me over, and uh, the older woman's just like, "Oh, oh, thank, thank you, sir, thank you, honey." But now we're just gonna go home. Okay. Like, no, look, look, like there's white caps. <laughs> like it's going, you are going to drown, and like it's just going over the head. And, like multiple times, she's like, "Oh, oh." Oh, thank you. You're what are you so, doing? You're so kind, do you but... train them physically? Or... No, no. Well, we were hoping we could just like walk them out and yeah. maybe if they felt it for themselves, they would be like, oh, no, this is a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, as uh, you know, we started following them. Like they weren't waiting for us. They were just walking just out gone. there. <laughs> yeah. So we're like we, I mean, at very least, we should at least help them. Yeah. Like walk them across. <laughs> um <laughs> like, cause like they are, they're just going to die. die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and fortunately at that time, a, a, a very shallow water fishing boat had pulled up mm-hmm. to drop some supplies and people off. And we're like, Hey, these, these old people, like they're fucking crazy. They're <laughs> like, they have a death wish. They're going to walk through the water. Can you, can they hop on your boat and you give them like, you know, ride back to the yeah. nearest dry land. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So we managed to get them on their boat. Th- this is how strong the current was that all we had to put the old uh, older folks in the boat, and then five of us had to walk the boat across to where the current was and strong because their motor could not. Wow, um, it wasn't yeah. strong enough for yeah. the current. <laughs> and uh you know so we did that and we we got them out and then went on with the rest of our day can you talk about the racism dynamic that you were telling me about down there um yeah i mean i wouldn't even well, call it exam- racism well, example, it's just a different way of talking in well, the culture well for example like something that stuck was with me is you told me how the town you're in just a, just a few years prior there was a black kid who got dragged behind the back of a truck and yeah not in not the exact town i was in that's a uh, jasper okay. um and that was a little north of us but it, same kind of geographic area and, uh, yeah, I mean, so like Vider up until, uh, you know, pretty recently, they were having regular national, uh, KKK rallies there mm-hmm. still very, uh, you know, segregated, not because of the government, but just, you know, civilian yeah. self segregated, um, in orange, you know, we, we helped, uh, uh, this older woman out and her mom and, uh, the next day, we called to check on them, see how they're doing, and then told them we were going up to Vider to help out more. And uh, one of the the mom of the mom there, she uh, called us back and was like, "I just realized you guys are going to Vider. Do you have any dark skinned fellows with you?" 
Wow. We're like, uh, well, I mean, Chris is half Mexican and I'm pretty tan. And she's like, I, I just, I have to warn you, Inviter, they're, they're still stuck in the 60s. The like, 60s. If you remember the, how the 60s were, <laughs> you know, they're segregated. They're, it's a lot of light skin. There's no dark skin. Mm. And the dark skin people that are there, they're brave. <laughs> right? She's like, so you need to be careful. And, you know, if you go with any dark skin people, they're not going to take your help. Mm. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll pass that along. Thanks for uh, giving us a heads up. Um, wow. But, you know, like, I, I didn't see that. I saw a lot of Confederate flags. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, there were a lot of, uh, you know, black rescuers uh, helping white people out. And there were white rescuers helping black people out. So yeah. Yeah. whatever racial tension was there, I, I, I didn't. It seemed to get washed away yeah. when a hurricane struck. So... I have a couple questions from a listener or maybe I should say a Facebook friend who will be a future listener. Um, so the first one is someone wanted to know if you had any stories of animal rescues. No. Okay. <laughs> well, that answers that question. I mean, well, can you elaborate more on like if you saw animals or you can yeah no there were actually uh there were actually calls for animal rescues uh but you know it just required such specific uh boats or equipment that we never responded and you know actually the the fire station we were at they we didn't go on this but is either them or the sheriffs they actually helped out with some horse rescues they I don't know. They had some, one of the sheriffs or firefighters was talking about it. It's like their claim to fame, how they were on national news about they had this special inflatable raft vest where they could go to ho like horses, wrap the horse in this inflatable vest, pump it up, and then bring them out of flooded areas. And so I know they were using that. Uh, but us personally, we, we weren't involved with any animal rescues, but they were. Um, they were going on just a, almost as much as regular human rescues were on this uh, Zillow app. We actually, oh my God, there were so many calls for, there was one lady who had 40 dogs. They were asking like, yeah, this lady needs out with 40 dogs. And then they get there like, okay, it turns out she actually has 16 dogs at the house and the remaining are at a church up a street. So we got to get there. Um, yeah, one one lady was uh, that we met up with to bring some medicine to the guy she rescued. She was driving a big rig. This guy she managed to rescue or pull out. I didn't, I didn't get the full story, but he had 10 dogs in the back of her big rig. <laughs> um, and like, she just couldn't find anywhere to drop this guy off at Aww. with his dogs. It's actually, it was kind of sad, but I mean, it's like all he had. So last listener question. Someone asked, how do you stay self-sufficient enough in remaining in practice of your self-care while being and showing up in complete service to others during this disaster? Um, we just smoke a lot of weed at night. <laughs> <laughs> that will work. You, did you drive with it? Did you go across? You got yeah, I, yeah I, um, on the way out there, actually... Uh, went through a border patrol checkpoint at like three in the morning. And the like, I've, I've done this drive out to Texas, Arizona, like 
I've gone through this specific border patrol pick, uh, checkpoint several times over mm-hmm. the last year and never like you just drive through and they're like American. You're like, before you even answer, they just wave you on. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to bring my weed this time. Of course, and, the um, only time. <laughs> yeah, I knew. So I was kind of like, I knew it's a felony in Arizona. And I know they have medical, but my medical card is for California. And yeah. I didn't know if they have like reciprocity or anything like that. So I brought it anyways because nothing's happened in the past pull up to this checkpoint three in the morning they have a dog and you know we drive up and i don't know if they like just profiled us they were bored or if the dog flagged like i couldn't see i know they had the dog by the car but i couldn't see what it was doing Mm. but um you know the guy just asked like where we're headed and said texas and he's like okay well can you uh pull over here real quick Mm. i was like fuck (laughs) so then you know, I pull over. I was like, all right, they have a dog. They're going to find the weed. I was ready to just like tell them where they didn't even ask me. They're like, all right, turn the car off and uh, go sit on this bench. Don't even ask if we have anything illegal. Don't. I mean, I would have been more than willing to tell them yeah. up front, but you want to take sit, a chance and see. Well, I mean, they just sit us down and um, don't ask us anything. Like they have one border patrol guy like 20 feet away watching okay. and um, just the canine handler starts going through the car and <laughs> what was going through your mind at that point You're so like, we're fucked n- well okay so i'm thinking like all right best case scenario i'm walking out of here with a ticket yeah. worst case scenario i'm spending the fucking night in jail yeah. <laughs> um because i'm like i know it's a felony in arizona i don't think they have reciprocity well you know sure enough they find the weed um, we had guns in the car too, which is fine. They didn't look or <laughs> they don't care about guns. They just, <laughs> yeah. God. And, That's um, normal over there. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> the, the canine handler, he's like, he finds the weed, pulls it out, and then he's like, uh, do any of you guys have a medical marijuana card? And I raised my hand. I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, uh, can you show it to me? So I walk over to the car, grab my ID, grab my medical marijuana card, show it to him. And he's like, okay, well, um, I have to confiscate your marijuana. They're going to smoke it later. <laughs> Probably. It's good. It's fucking uh, awesome. It's I like got, California I got him, weeds. I got him some. <laughs> he, his buddy had just gotten him a vape pen or a wax pen or whatever it's called. Yeah. I got him some headband crumble from my work. And uh, it, was, yeah. it was pretty good stuff. Yeah. So um, the. Damn it. So I'm thinking, I'm like, okay. Cool. I have a medical marijuana card, but it's California. I'm like, man, this border patrol guy is going to see it's from California. Be like, oh, sorry, we're in Arizona. Yeah. But no, he he took my card, he took my ID. He's like, all right, I just need to make copies of this. I got to. Do you have any other drugs? I'm like, no, that's everything. He's like, okay, I just got to confiscate this and then make copies, and you're free to go. I was like, oh, uh, okay. So I drive off. Um, coincidentally, about a week later, I actually found out that Arizona does. Grant yeah. Res- it's like one of the only states where if you have an out-of-state medical marijuana card, really? okay. it's honored in Arizona. Oh, wow. Okay. Then why did they have to confiscate your weed? Because Border Patrol is a federal law enforcement. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you got lucky, basically. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, uh, back to the original question, you know... Um, you know, Mark's a Purple Heart recipient. He's been in combat... 
paramedic. I'm a paramedic. Did search and rescue. The other couple guys were rescue swimmer. Like we're used to operating in a high stress trauma related area. And uh, so we developed coping skills a long time ago. And also what people don't, I don't know if people understand. Okay. So I was an EMT for eight years and I never did anything like John did. John was, um, had a higher license than me and wider scope of protocol. Am I even saying that right? I don't even remember. Practice, scope of practice. Scope of practice. (laughs) It's been a while. Mm. But, you know, people ask what I used to ask me, like, oh, my gosh, how do you stay calm under that pressure? And I'm like, you don't realize how fun it is. Like, it is an adrenaline rush. Like, responding to an emergency situation, it is an adrenaline rush, and it's fun as fuck. And so, like, people think that, you, I mean, afterwards, it's, I don't, I mean, do you agree with what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though you're surrounded by tragedy and disaster, I mean, it's like the most fun I've had yeah. in uh, a few months. And it's, um, I think a lot of that comes from the adrenaline. You know, you kind of have adrenaline high going on the whole time. And then the way, th- I, this is pretty common that you see in police, firefighter, EMS, military, yeah. anyone who's exposed to high stress, high yes. trauma is um, gallows humor. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we have a dark humor and... Yeah make a lot of jokes and light of situations yeah. that your average person would probably be appalled at mm. or think is totally inappropriate. Right. But that's how you keep saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, you know, talking about, um, you know, joking about how now we're going to be surrounded by fucking rapists <laughs> and they're on the hunt for fresh butts. <laughs> yeah. That right. was just like yeah. the theme for the weekend that just kept us laughing. No matter like how sad something was, we would just find a way to make a joke out of it. And like, instead of like being super down and depressed and crying, we would just find ways to like keep everybody's spirits up. All right. So, um, okay. I think we should probably wind down the podcast. So I just want to finish up with, um, you telling us how people can find out more about veterans respond, how they can donate and get involved. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, this kind of galvanized us, um, lit the fire again to want us to be more active. We decided that we're going to try and take a less activist approach and really try and get back to our original roots of community service and mm-hmm. uh, disaster relief. Uh, I think that you'll find a lot more of a flow with that path. Yeah, the... Um, you know, the big thing is we don't have a place where you can just actively donate all the time. It's pretty mission specific, whatever we do. And the best thing you can do is just follow us on Facebook. Look for Veterans Respond. Um, we have a Seattle chapter and a San Diego chapter uh, page as well. But follow the main Veterans Respond and just keep a lookout. Anytime we decide to uh, do missions like this one to Texas or whatever comes up, mm-hmm. we'll post um, GoFundMes or fundraisers. Um, we do full accountability and transparency. We post receipts of everything we buy, what your money goes to. Um, we, we actually raised about $700 to send a team out to Florida to help out over there. And then last minute decided, um, you know, the, the damage wasn't as severe as it was in, Mm. um, Texas and didn't think it would be 
uh, worth yeah. sending a team out there or really needed. So what we ended up doing was just messaging everybody that donated and saying, hey, would you like your money refunded? Or we still have a team that's doing a mobile kitchen thing going to shelter shelter in texas we can re-donate the money there or if you want we'll just give you a full refund of everything you donated so So, oh sorry so yeah just follow us on facebook and uh just look out for anything that's going on so i want to put out a call to action in case anyone hears this and feels inspired to maybe offer some services in the form of management. I think that I'm really stoked to see what Veterans Respond is trying to accomplish. I think that they're a group of amazing guys. I think they have a great mission. I think they're full of integrity and like John said, transparency. But yeah, they're burning the candle at both ends. And um, there are people who know how to run nonprofits, who know how to manage these things, who know how to do fundraisers and just get organized. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would just be the cherry on top for you guys. If you had someone, so you guys could just do the groundwork of doing the service work and have something, someone like just tidying up ends and keeping everything organized. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the biggest obstacle to Veterans Respond being successful is ourselves because, you know, I fundraised a couple times and I, I fucking hate it. Yeah. I, like, I, 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 thought, I yeah. feel, even though yeah. I know the money is, we're spending it right, yeah. it's going to a good cause. Yeah, yeah. I, it takes a different personality. Yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming and from. And that's how the majority of the members are. And yeah. I think if we had a few more people who had yeah. that... um um, mind, mind yeah, dream. the mindset or the personality or desire to do that. Yeah, you know, we would probably be a lot more successful yeah. or yeah. be able to do more. But um, yeah, our our biggest obstacle is we fucking hate asking for yeah. money. Yeah. 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 So one last question, or do you have anything else? I was going to end with the so okay. When Omar and I were talking about our vision for this podcast, we were like, you know, our desire to do a podcast is pretty general. But the one thing that we did agree upon is that the reason Omar and I listen to podcasts is because of how much we learn from listening to podcasts and how much that information has bettered our lives. And so I came up with the idea of at the end of every episode, because the theme of the podcast although general is like we we want people to learn something new with mm-hmm. each episode so at the end of every episode i'm gonna ask each guest and i'm directing this question at you now what's one thing that you wish every human being on the planet knew and you can be as creative as you want like just or not whatever or, you want <laughs> whatever <laughs> what's what's one thing you wish every human being on the planet knew um, yeah, I think, uh, what, what I wish everybody would know right now, uh, is more about how polarized the country is. Huh. And, you know, I think you, I see, I've seen it calm down a lot on social media, um, since the elections, but coming up to the elections, the country was very polarized. People were angry, a lot of outrage. And I think a lot of the outrage gets misdirected. And <clears throat> when I was going through a lot of tough shit in the Navy, um, 
things that happened that pretty much drove me to leave the Navy that I would get angry and upset about. Um, one of my senior leader guys um, approached me one day after something that happened that had crushed me that I was really angry and upset about, sat me down and said, listen, man, there are things that are going to happen in life that you can control and there are things that you can't control. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's no point getting mad and upset about the things you can't control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead, you need to focus on the things that you do have control mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's what led me to doing activist work or mm -hmm. things with Veterans Respond was, you know, there's a lot of things in politics I, I can't change. Mm -hmm. I can't do. If you hate Trump, too bad. You can't get rid of him. He's still there. But what you can do is fix your own backyard. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you might be mad about the injustice in the world, but there's still people hanging out under the underpass that are addicted to heroin, drugs, mm -hmm. exactly. that are starving. And you can go out and give that person a sandwich. You can still give that person a blanket. So don't waste all your energy on the things you can't control and just focus on how you can make the world a better place. Right. A lot of people, a lot of social justice warriors are up in arms about the injustices going on in our society. But something as simple as checking in on your neighbor every now and then to see if they're doing okay or yeah. asking that random stranger at the grocery do you, do you Think about it. If you were standing in line at the grocery store and someone behind you, some random stranger was like, hey, I honestly want to know if you're doing okay. Is there anything you want to talk about? I feel like if that were a thing, this world would be a much more better place than, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, and not to say that, like, whatever issues people want to get outraged or complain about aren't justified, but maybe even though I'm, I consider myself a liberal, this might be my more libertarian mindset, but if you're looking, if you're going to be screaming and begging the government to fix your problems, you're you're asking the wrong person. You're putting the faith in the wrong institution. You as an individual have the power to make a change right. on whether it be a small scale that builds up into a large scale. But regardless, you as an individual have the ability to positively impact other people's lives. Right. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much, John, for taking the time. That was a really wonderful uh, recount of... Uh, a pretty uh, scary situation. Um, and now we're faced with more hurricanes. And so it's an ongoing thing. But I hope that this podcast will give kind of an inside view on the ground. Um, so again, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.